Imagine every single day is a day that is someone's equivalent of an entire year compressed into 24 hours. You get attacked by some animal or you have to escape a situation or traverse raging rivers or you fall in love with someone or you make a best friend with someone and then the next day it's completely different. That's Mario Rigby, eco-explorer and the first person to have traveled solo by foot from Cape Town to Cairo, an incredible 12,000-kilometer, two-and-a-half-year journey. He's also a fellow of the Royal Canadian Geographical Society and our guest on this episode of Explore, the Canadian Geographic podcast. Hi, and welcome to all you explorers out there, armchair and in motion. I'm your host, David McGuffin. And before we get started, a quick reminder that at the very foundation of this podcast is Canadian Geographic magazine. For over 90 years now, Canadian Geographic has been bringing you award-winning articles, photos, and maps highlighting the beauty and diversity of all that is Canada. A yearly subscription is only $28.50 plus tax. A two-year subscription is an even better deal at $43.50. You can subscribe by going to canadiangeographic.ca forward slash subscribe. And trust me, you'll be very happy that you did. So, it's hard to think of a person who better fits with the mission of this podcast than Mario Rigby. In a way, he's been exploring his whole life. Born in the Turks and Caicos in the Caribbean, he moved to Germany as a child with his family, and then again to Canada when he was 16. He's competed in track and field internationally for Turks and Caicos, and ran a successful personal training business in Toronto before he decided to chuck all that in his early 30s and walk across Africa. From bottom to top, a journey he completed in late 2017. Since then, he's been a positive and vocal advocate for the inclusion of diversity in the outdoors, encouraging people of colour to get out and explore nature. As part of that, he's bicycled across Canada. This fall, he's spending a month travelling across the islands of the Bahamas using only human power, walking, swimming, paddling. He's about to start a new adventure TV series with a focus on eco-travel, working with the late Anthony Bourdain's producers. And he's working on his memoir about his African walkabout, which is the focus of our conversation. Mario Rigby, thank you so much for coming on the Explore podcast. Thanks, David. Appreciate it. First of all, I just want to thank you because you are one of our few dozen uh, ice plungers for the RCGS Polar Plunge, and we raised record amounts of money for the podcast this year. So thank you so much, Mario. It looks like you guys had a good time out there on Lake Ontario. Well, first of all, um, I never thought I would be congratulated for doing a, an ice plunge, <laughs> like yeah. a polar plunge. That's something I think I did my first one a week before I did this, um, before I did this one. Oh, no way. Yeah. So how was it? Oh, it was terrifying. Very terrifying. <laughs> It's um, it, it's not something I'm used to, but I think I can see the benefits of it. Like just your increased confidence, you feel rejuvenated, mm. you feel um, you feel cleansed in a way, which is which is very positive. Yeah. So I'm I'm definitely going to be doing a lot more of that. You guys were wonderful, so so thank you for that. But um, I mean, you've done so many fascinating things. I spent six years as the the CBC's Africa correspondent, based out of Nairobi. So one thing you you've definitely put you on the map was uh, this walk you did from Cairo, no Cape Town to Cairo, on foot the whole way, uh, except for a little stretch in a kayak. 
I definitely got around the continent, mostly in planes and trucks and and vans and stuff like that. Um, I would have loved to have done what you did. But mm. so tell me, what was the inspiration for it? And it's particularly on foot, because that's mm. what the really intriguing part for me. I think most people don't really believe when I say this. It was inspired by a cartoon. Oh, nice. Which yeah, one? the Black Panther, actually. Oh, cool. So back in the day, uh, I can't remember exactly when or how long ago when that uh, cartoon came out. It was It's a TV show on BET, Black Entertainment Television. Mm-hmm. And it was about um, a, a series on the Black Panther. And he was the only black superhero at that time. So me right. and my brother, we would just binge this over right. and over. I think I've watched um, every episode at least 10 times. And yeah. um, in episode one, they, they showed uh, T'Challa as a young man who was about to become king of Wakanda and Mm -hmm. his father was assassinated, which they got correct in the movie, but they didn't, they didn't um, disclose Mm -hmm. all the details of what happened around that time. So what actually happened was that his uncle took over after his father died and T'Challa decided to, instead of becoming the king right away, he decided to go and just walk about around Africa for about a year. And he met, this woman who eventually became Storm, who he fell in love with. He got robbed. He was chased down by, by bandits. And he just saw some of the most beautiful sights around Africa. And for some reason, that just stuck with me for the remainder of my life. Wow. And, you know, yeah, it, it, it was wild. And, and I thought to myself, this is the reason he did that was because he was trying to, um, he was on this, on this journey to become a leader. And mm-hmm. in Africa, a lot of African cultures, young kids have to go through this like coming of age or um, this this rite of passage in order to to become a prominent member of society of their society. And that's what T'Challa decided to do. And that only then can he become the king of Wakanda. And he ended mm-hmm. up becoming this such a beautiful leader. Like I know it's just a cartoon, but the way he was just so calm, and he was like. There was no ego involved, and you know he was all about the 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 greater good of the people. He wanted um, his people to be in a place of 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 good standing, um, in the sense of like uh, happiness and and having all the the fundamental needs that human beings need. And he felt like the rest of the world wasn't ready for that kind of um, acceptance of for, for humanity to thrive in such a way. And um, so he was the protector of, of uh, Wakanda. And I thought to myself, like, wow, that is, um, that's incredible. And so that always kind of resonated with me. And when I thought in my uh, late 20s, what do I want to really do with my life? You know, mm-hmm. I, started to, I started to think about all the, all the typical things that people would do. Like, oh, I'd like to travel for a year, backpack. Oh, I'd like to be a creative artist or I'd like, you know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and I said, okay, well, what are some things that I could do that aren't listed? (laughs) You know, like what are some of the, the, the crazy things that you can do in life that it's, you can't really go to school for, you can't really just learn, um, on YouTube. You have to kind of figure it out yourself. And then I started looking up what explorers are doing. You know, because explorers kind of lead their own path. They they have to. And um, so I started looking at, I started researching it. And, um, 
you know, to, to my surprise, I was like, wow, okay, there's uh, no black explorers that are leading expeditions anywhere around the world at, at the time that I was doing this research. Now, I think there's like a couple of, you know, there's a couple of people. Yeah. yeah and, we, uh, <laughs> you've definitely done some inspiring in the last few years. It, yeah. It's wild. It, isn't that such a, a beautiful thing to, to watch how even the, the title of being explorer starting to change? And um, yeah. I think that's incredible. And so I started looking into that and then I thought like, well, is there anything left on this earth for me to do that would be unique mm -hmm. or impactful yeah. enough? Um, in order for me to become a leader in whatever it is that I wanted to do. So mm -hmm. then I just thought back to this cartoon and I thought to myself, like, why can't, it doesn't have to be a fantasy story. It could be real. I yeah. could just go to Africa and I could walk the length of it. And I think it was really important for me at that time to make that decision because mm -hmm. of how ignorant I was. <laughs> and uh, I yeah. didn't, I didn't know, um, all the possible dangers. I knew that it was dangerous. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand. It's more the difficulty of, of crossing um, the countries, like with the visas and yeah. how do you finance yourself. Those are more the difficulty. The yeah. dangers, they're actually easier to, to, to manage than, than having to <laughs> manage making money while you're on a walk. I started like looking at um, uh, different options. Like uh, I started selling T-shirts. I started asking for 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 funds from people using uh, GoFundMe. I did that for about half a year until you know I didn't really feel good asking people for that anymore. So yeah. I started selling my T-shirts. I started making T-shirts online, and yeah. and then I started doing social media stuff, you know, posting things. And then all of a sudden, big brands like Western Union caught up with me, and they said like, "Hey, can we?" essentially uh pay for your um for your life <laughs> like you know what I mean? so they that's like, amazing so they they came to you they came to me um yeah. near, near the end of my expedition i was in ethiopia i remember yeah. i got a call yeah. from um marcio from from western union and he said uh, to right. me uh would you be interested in making a lot of money every month for one post I yeah. thought it, I thought it was a joke, you know. I didn't I didn't I didn't know about social media at the time. I was yeah. like, all right, whatever, this is a prank call. But for yeah. the life of me, I you know yeah. I I I I listened to him, yeah. and he said, you know what? So glad I I, I you know I, I got in contact with you. and We caught up. I was literally on the walk when he called me. That's <laughs> I was amazing like, because I I just didn't take it that serious. I was like, I got nothing else to do. Yeah. So, but that makes sense too, though, because Western right? Union is a big way of remittances come home from America, from Europe, yes from to, to to Africa, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it has a big presence in Africa. It does, and I've I've actually used Western Union quite often, so yeah. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I picked yeah. up the call because I'm like, wait, did I, <laughs> did I miss a payment? <laughs> yeah, did I miss a payment, or uh, is yeah. there a payment coming through? Like maybe I yeah. I should pick up this call. And yeah. uh, later on, he said, you know what, let me, um, I'll circle back with you a week later and um, yeah. we'll come up with, with a financial plan and, and we'll pay you for these posts. Yeah. And all you have to do is write up what happened yeah. that day. And so they actually, so that relationship at, at the end of my expedition is, I think, what led me to being present in the media, to be present um, mm. kind of globally in a sense. Yeah. 
So it was, it was yeah. kind of like that's where it started, which is funny because it happened at the end of, near the end yeah. of my walk, right? As opposed yeah, yeah. to the beginning. So it's a big learning for you going forward, though, huge. too, isn't it? And like, and it's a big learning for everyone out there listening who wants to do this kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Like, there's so many logistical questions. They are <laughs> on doing things like this, you know. Mm-hmm. And one of them is like, how do you fund it, right? Like, that's a that's a big thing. It's a big thing, and I went into it with a leap of faith. I sold everything. I saved up as much money as I possibly could. Right um, at this point, you're at, you're a pers- you're running your own business as a personal trainer in Toronto, is right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bef- before so I, do- before I left, yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, okay, gone. Gone. Just, yep, just out of here. (laughs) And I felt like the only way to do that was to take a huge leap of faith. There's no other way to do it. Like, no one could Mm -hmm. predict that you're going to even make it past the first day. In fact, the second day I got um, uh, money stolen from me by a bunch of little kids. They, they, you know, they they stole my wallet. I lost a a ton of money. Um, Uh, I lost my credit card. I lost my everything, all my cards. Um, luckily I had my passport in a different compartment of my bag and I kept a little bit of cash, um, in my socks. But besides that, I, um, I lost pretty much everything overnight on the second day, day two. two, Yeah. Oh my God. Oh yeah. What do you do do at that point? I mean, you're obviously canceling credit cards, but you're, well, I had to be creative. So this is, I think, and this is where really the story of walking Africa began mm-hmm. because I had to now knock on people's doors and ask yeah. for help. I'm like, yeah. Hey, I thought you'd it. cut ties already, but you <laughs> now had really cut ties. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, now I'm knocking on people's doors and I had to learn how to have people invite me into their homes that are complete strangers. And yeah. I had to learn how to trust people right off the bat. Yeah. And I had to yeah. learn how to, um, uh, have people trust me as well. So yeah. it was, it was a lot of that. So I learned that literally on day two. <laughs> yeah. And, and Africa is the most beautiful place to do that because it's such an alien thing in North America, certainly Europe Absolutely. as well. You wouldn't necessarily just knock on someone's door and someone wouldn't necessarily <laughs> let you in either, you know? Exactly. But yeah. it's, I mean, I'm sure you found this. It, it, it's such a welcoming continent i mean you can't talk about the whole continent as one place and it's obviously very different in every different places but mm-hmm. my goodness it's such a i, I mean I, anyway, i'll let you tell the story but it really <laughs> does that, that's what you found i'm guessing it was remarkably hospitable even in south africa you know there mm-hmm. was the uh you know the the, the apartheid that happened and yeah. I, I met a lot of afrikaners um because mm-hmm. of the route that i took i, I stayed on the coast and most of the Afrikaners are living there. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the the black South Africans there have been a lot of them have been displaced into townships, right. which yeah, I still I, to this day it's most the most the lands in white hands. In Absolutely, Africa. yeah, yeah. I think like eighty percent of the wealth goes to them, and mm-hmm. you know, I I also slept in in townships as well. Yeah, um, yeah. but it was really more surprising um, when I went to these like massive mansions. I had to walk by these massive mansions on along mm-hmm. the coast, and um, they would still let me sleep into in, in their homes with their. They had like kids, their daughters, that you know, and they mm-hmm. just they completely trusted me off the bat. At first, yeah. they were apprehensive. They were like, "Well, who's this guy? We don't know who he is." And then as yeah. soon as they heard my accent, they were like, "Oh," and you know, th- I mean, you could see it any way you want, but and and. This really like made me think about like the world we live in, but 
you know, I thought to myself, why don't you treat other black people mm-hmm. in South Africa this mm-hmm. way? And yeah. they said, mm-hmm. I said, Mario, you know, you're not really a black. You're a European. Although I live in Canada, but you know, for them, it's like yeah. pretty much it's all the same thing. That's so yeah, they were like, yeah. you're a European. So, and I thought to myself, wow. So it's more about your ethnic uh, background yeah. as opposed to like actually sure. just your, your skin and yeah, all that kind of stuff. Huh. It's a fascinating question about identity, isn't it? Because mm. I, I lived in China for a couple of years, and I would have a lot of um, we had a lot of Chinese Americans, Chinese Canadians who would go over there, and like you know, because China was opening up at that point, and they'd be like trying to rediscover their Chinese identity, and they'd grown up and they'd always been called Chinese in Canada, right? Mm. Chinese, Chinese, or more derogatory terms or whatever. But then they got there, and they're like, they were shocked how Canadian they felt. Oh, and yeah. I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if you went through something similar. Absolutely. So essentially, I'm like very confusing <laughs> to a lot of people. That's mm-hmm. what that's what I found. I think the consensus is that I am a very confusing looking character. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, because first of all, if you're an explorer, you go to to Africa and you do these kinds of things. It's typically a white man. Um, rarely would you find um, a woman, but then she would also be white. Um, mostly German, Israeli. Um, you know, no region like a lot of Scandinavians, and then Amer- and then you have a few Americans as well. So when I went to enter these these villages, these tribes, it depends on what kind of society they have. Like I found that patriarchal societies, um, a lot of people were apprehensive um, towards me. They would um, feel guarded and. Um, Actually, those are the places where I would feel I, I would be jailed or taken custody. Mm. Uh, but in more matriarchal societies, it was very different. I was I was greeted with open arms, um, you know, and mm-hmm. women had more autonomy. So I would interact with a lot more women in those societies. And it kept fluctuating. Right. Um, every 30 kilometers, yeah. it'd be a new kind of tribe. Is a completely different way, yeah. <laughs> and, and I and I found that that was quite interesting because I don't think you get to to witness that when you're when you're driving or even when you're riding your bike because you just go from a main place to another main place like maybe a hundred or two hundred five hundred kilometers apart, but when you're going every twenty thirty kilometers apart, and even between then you still have to take breaks, it's like you're meeting literally every single drive <laughs> along the way. Yeah, yeah, and you're moving at the same speed as everyone else, basically too. So you're talking to people. You're, yeah, they're you moving know. faster than me. In yeah. fact, like you know, like I've seen women <laughs> with uh, with a bunch of uh, charcoal on top of their heads and lit- literally going up yeah. mountains, and uh, they're they're moving faster than me. And I'm and I'm thinking like, oh man, today's yeah. a tough day. And then I'm like, well, no, these women they do this every single day, and they go up and down this mountain, and then they have and they're carrying a baby. They're carrying babies, one, a, a baby in the front, a baby in the back, and then they have the charcoal wood, and then they actually, and then they smile at you, and they have this, like, gentle demeanor about them, and you're just thinking, and, that, and that's, the, those are the kinds of things that kept me going. So, you know, it depends where I went, but people thought it was quite strange. Can we just back up? Because you said you were jailed a few times. I, I just oh. <laughs> love to hear a little bit about, I mean, how, how often were you detained? So, at seven times. I th- I think it could be more. It could be more than that. Two and a half years in a it's, lot of countries, so that's not bad, right? Yeah, um, it's it's more. You would think that you could keep track of everything that happened in two and a half years, but 
imagine every single day mm. is a day that like is someone's equivalent of an entire year. <laughs> like it's just and it's compressed mm-hmm. yeah. into twenty four hours. So yeah. like you know you get yeah. attacked by some animal or you have to you have to escape a situation or traverse um, raging rivers. Um, you have to go for like a long mm-hmm. swim unexpected scenarios or you fall in love with someone and or you make a best friend with someone Mm -hmm. and you know and then the next day it's completely different and it's just it's i think that like mentally uh it can mentally drain you for sure yeah so the times that i was jailed was uh mostly i would say in malawi because mostly Mostly in malawi Malawi. because i took the um the kayaking route and I, and I decided to kayak. Okay. So I'm in a lot of um, indigenous, not indigenous land, but I'm in a lot of remote places where um, a lot of people haven't even seen foreigners and they're not speaking English, right? So I find that the places I've been jailed mostly are the places where they're not speaking English um, or there's a lack of translators. There's always like one English teacher that lives in the village, um, but some of them just don't have it. Like I remember being chased down by literally an entire village with uh, pitchforks and knives and um, weapons that they had. And they came to my tent. Wow. And, um, and I knew that was going to happen. I had, I had an opportunity to, to evade, to, to evade this, the situation because, you know, I remember seeing mm-hmm. a farmer walk by with, with his herd of, of cows and I, and he spotted me and I knew, I said, I need to get out of here. This is usually what I do. This is textbook. Um, but this is the one time I decided to stay and then letting, you know, um, a few hours later, an entire village came and now I have to learn to, to, to express myself in a language that I literally just learned a week ago. Mm, where is this? This was also Malawi. Yeah. Wow. So it's a, a local indigenous language then. Yeah. They're speaking Chichua, Chichua, which is, uh, yeah, it's very complex. <laughs> So no overlap with English. <laughs> no overlap, yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of sign language and showing photos. And I think I was really lucky to to use the media. So the yeah. newspapers, um, I had... So you're pulling out clippings exactly. saying, this is who I am, and showing your family. Exactly, yeah. Um, showing, yeah. actually, in my, um, in my notepad, I had a picture of my brother's kid, so my nephew... And I would show people, I'm like, you know, this is my nephew. Mm, yeah. It's like, I'm a real person. I have a heart. <laughs> this is who I am. And so that, that usually helped yeah. quite a lot yeah. as well. Yeah. The more you can personalize who you are. Yeah. Absolutely. The yeah. better, <laughs> the better the outcome, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So how did that one end up then? No, I mean, clearly I'm here alive. <laughs> so, I mean, there was this one guy who had, and um, he he, he kind of like, you know, he had an open mind and he spoke like a tiny, like just broken English. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, I was able to say, um, uh, Nina Safari na kwanda migu. Like I was speaking Swahili, but he understood mm-hmm. a little bit of that. Right. So Nina na kwanda na safari is like, you know, I'm walking by foot. Yeah. Um, you know, na kwanda um, from uh, Cairo to Egypt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nice. And, um, you know, he understood that and, but he termed it differently. And then that's the term I used moving forward, which helped me with a lot of situations, which was like, he said, you are sporting. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh nice. you are, you are sporting across Africa. 
as in like you're, you're just a challenge, right? So to them, it's it's a sport, and I was like, oh, I never thought of that that way, but yeah, so that that connected people a lot, um, a lot better. Nice, you sort of mm-hmm. learn the lingo, right? That's, uh, exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah. So tell me, like border crossings, what were those like? I mean, it must have been a bit of a surprise you showing up with your Canadian passport on foot. Oh yeah, Ethiopia was the most difficult. Yeah, and I got banned out of South Africa because um, I overstayed. Oh no way. Uh, because it took you yeah. more than three months to get through, or is it that with the? It, it took me more than three months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. South Africa took me five months actually. Wow. It yeah. uh, it was the longest one. Yeah. I spent a lot of time learning in South Africa. Yeah. So that so, was like um, because it was the beginning. I felt like yeah. Um, before I'm ready to go into Mozambique yeah. and the rest of East Africa, I think I want to learn as much as I can what I can here and then right. move on. Right. Because um, there is infrastructure there and stuff, and there is stuff there to fall is. back on, yeah, or more infrastructure. I mean, I would say I, I was probably scared too, so I took like my very slow time. <laughs> yeah, like I was like I was afraid of like you know, like inevitably getting into really the heart of Africa. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm curious about why you chose because you followed the coast. You went from Cape Town, and then you you basically hugged that 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 Indian Ocean coast up through Mozambique and why, mm-hmm. why did you choose that route and not sort of more direct up through like South Africa into mm. in Botswana, Zambia, that kind of route? I could have chosen that route and I was very close to, to choosing to go through Zambia, Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I literally decided a day before I arrived at the border. Yeah. So that's when I made my decision. It was just like, oh man, do I go? And I think the original map shows that I went through Zimbabwe. Like that, yeah. I'm going to be going through Zimbabwe, yeah. not through Mozambique, mm-hmm. because a I heard there was conflict in Mozambique. Yeah, which there was, but, right? Which which there there was, yeah. Which <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was in the middle, literally in the middle. Of it. I was literally getting shot um, by rebel soldiers. Um, yeah. and, and two, it was just. For me, it was an easier border to cross. Mm-hmm. Right. For me, it, right, at least. So, and it was right there in front of me. So I decided yeah. to go with what was easier right now because it was just like taking that leap of faith. I wanted to do things that keep propelling me forward. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I had to go through Zimbabwe or, or mm-hmm. Zambia, I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. But back to Ethiopia, what was going on at that border for you? So, with Ethiopia, um, you know, you get through the border. If the border control people feel like it, if they're having mm. a good day, <laughs> if, yeah, if, they're, yeah. if they're having a good day, then, you know, yeah. oh, you, you might get through. If they're having a bad day, then, you know, maybe come back the next day. Yeah. Um, wait, wait for the next person to, to work. Um, Is that what happened? It, it's definitely what happened. Yeah, it happened once. and But luckily, the next day that I went, it was somebody else and it worked way smoother. But in order to, to go through Ethiopia, you need uh, a visa for Sudan mm. because I'm going into Sudan but right. in order to get into Sudan they need to make sure that you leave the country it's a Sharia law country yeah. so then I needed a visa to Egypt right oh, so wow. I was like I needed a whole bunch of visas so now now I have the Ethiopian visa um, and uh, the visa before that which was the Kenyan visa because it hadn't run out yet yeah <clears throat> So I have the, the Kenyan visa, mm-hmm. the Ethiopian visa, Sudanese, and Egyptian visas. So four visas. 
So you're just all uh, you spent like a week in Nairobi doing this or something, or how did that all come together? Um, I yeah, actually, I spent um, I would say probably roughly like two weeks in yeah, Nairobi. It's not a quick process. Yeah. No. It's not. It's not. At all. Then you're waiting. You're mm. you're trusting your passport to be sent out. Um, it's a lot of waiting, and it's 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 like it's like playing chess mm-hmm. on like at a very extreme level because it's like okay, cool, I give this person my passport. Yeah. Um, or I could have someone who's going to Canada get the visa in Canada and then send, ship it back yeah. and then like, you know, and then collect it or, you know, there's so many different ways of doing it, mm-hmm. but there are ways of doing it. Everything has a solution. And I think that's the important thing that I learned um, through my walk yeah. in Africa, actually. I, it's part of the reason I love Africa is everything can be impossible and possible and usually at the same time right and it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just a matter yeah. of figuring out what the possible is and how you get there absolutely yeah 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 as soon as you see like a a dead end it's yeah. not really a dead end right yeah. it's the beginning it's it's yeah. it might seem like a dead end but it could be just the beginning yeah and it's all about interaction right it's all about how you approach things how you deal it with is. people it is absolutely <laughs> So when I first went there with CBC, they, I was going to be a one-man band, so I was going to videotape my own stuff. And um, and it became impossible partly because of war zones, but also because of um, I would go into villages, and you know what it's like? You've got to spend like a good hour just talking to people, explaining who you are, right? And so I would <laughs> lose like half a day of filming because I'm just like, <laughs> you know, doing the right thing and try, you know, letting yeah, you know yeah, what, yeah. who I am and why I'm here and da 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 da. And my cameraman at that yeah. point, when I got one, he'd be shooting all of that and shooting around. Oh, good, good, like good. That, yeah. You know? So, but um, yeah, because it's it's an important part of. There's a great deal of courtesy, right? There, there absolutely is, and um, you know, you couldn't have said any better. Every time I arrived in a village or a town. I mean, I don't know what you did, but the first thing that I did was go to a bar. Mm-hmm. I would just have a um, a, a Coke and, a, and a, a dark beer. Yeah, I would mix it because that's what they love to do. And um, I would just drink a beer, watch the news, just chill on my own. Yeah. And then I would just like watch people stare at me. Like people yeah. would be staring at me. They'd be like, who is this weird stranger? Yeah. And then there's always that one alpha male or female yeah. that comes and like he or she's that boss of the town, yeah. And he's like, uh, "Who are you? What what are you doing here?" You know. And and then you you have to slow. I learned storytelling through Africans actually themselves, yeah. because I would tell them the story, and then it's really interesting how they would retell that story to the villagers. You know, I would be like in a hurry. I'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm doing this expedition. I'm walking the entire length of Africa. I've made it to Mozambique or Malawi, wherever I am." And like, yeah, you know, and I want to be one of the first people um, of color to do this. And um, they're like, okay, none of this is important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> none of the details are important. Yeah. So they would literally, they would tell the story in such a different way. They would yeah. be like, so first of all, what they do is they, they sit you down and you don't even talk about that at all for like mm-hmm. the first tw- half hour, maybe yeah. even an hour. You yeah. don't even talk about what I'm doing or anything like that. They would, they would just be playing around. They're like, ah, this, this beer is very nice. And, oh, the sun is feeling so fresh today, you know? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. just like, wait, dude, where are you going to get to the story, man? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, then, and then they would get into it. And then that's when I saw the magic. And I'm like, wow, the brilliant storytellers. Yeah. They'd be like, this friend or this brother 
has come from across the oceans to start a journey that very few people can say they have done. He has walked now for many, many months to arrive here where we are. <laughs> and I'm like, what? This Brilliant. is like next. It's can you so voice brilliant. my documentary, please? Like, I want that guy. Yeah. It's, you know, like, I, I, I was like blown away with how storytelling was done in, mm. in this part of Africa. And, you know, I could keep going on with this, but I, I also don't want to like do a whole a fake accent on, on no, I don't, no, the story I was told. Yeah. Yeah. But they, uh, they, would, they would give me a new narrative. And this narrative is essentially like, made me think about what's really important with what I'm doing mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, what, what, yeah, what isn't important, what is important. And what was important was, was the journey itself, because for them, it was all about mm -hmm. the journey, yeah. you know, they, they would never, they would hardly ever explain the fact that I'm actually going to arrive in, um, in Egypt. Yeah. You know, half the time they wouldn't even mention that. They'd yeah. just be like, ah, now yeah. he has arrived here yeah. with us. And that, yeah. that's typically how it would go. And then people would be like, whoa, they'd be blown away. But the way I would tell it, they would just look confused because I'm using a lot of Western jargon. Yeah. You know, I'm using a lot of Western words yeah. that aren't really expressing why I'm doing this. Yeah. It's more about like what I'm doing, not why I'm doing it. I yeah, suppose. Yeah. You know, and, and even if I say why I'm doing it, if I say like, um, you know, I want to, I want to represent Africa in a more positive light. They're like, but we are positive already. <laughs> you know? yeah. So it's like, uh, I can't say that either. I just have to, um, because that, that comes off as like the savior complex in a way. It's like, right. why do you need to tell the world? I mean, we are happy where we are. A lot mm -hmm. of, um, East Africans, um, unless they're, they're, they're facing some kind of poverty are mm -hmm. relatively happy. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I would say that they're probably on, on average, probably happier than, than people in, um, in, 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 in America or there America. are no, there's studies, literally studies that say rural villages in East Africa have the highest rates of happiness in the world. Wow. And you know what it's like? I remember walking, you walk in and these kids would all come running along and they're holding oh, yeah. their hands and yeah. there's just yeah. an acceptance <laughs> and an openness and I've never seen so much joy, you know, and it's, it's incredible. Yeah. yeah. I almost, I almost got tired of the joy at one point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> need some cynicism, uh, please. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, I'm the bad guy right now. <laughs> what yeah. is this? I am the bad guy. <laughs> Cause no one would be the, no one would be the bad guy, you know? Yeah. So imagine. Imagine just like going for for months and months and not going through any negative um, interaction with anyone. Yeah. Um, not That's that I would amazing. be the yeah. Not that I would uh, intentionally cause uh, negative interactions. But okay. I remember that even in East Africa, they don't swear. Mm. Yeah. Like maybe someone who's like Westernized. Yeah. Uh, if they live in the big city, oh, but. Yeah. I found that the majority like the F word of that, doesn't exist at all, right? Like it, it doesn't, and, yeah. and and there's no translation of it either. Mm. They yeah. they just they just say, uh, "Oh, I am not having a good day today." <laughs> <That's> <laughs> totally, yeah. I was like, "Oh, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah." It's, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's not having a good day. <laughs> East Africans too, and again, I don't mean to broadly call every, but Canadians, everyone says Canadians apologize and say sorry. Nobody says sorry at a level as Kenyans. Like, yeah, you oh can, goodness. you personally can trip your own self and drop something yeah. on the floor and they'll say sorry to you. 
No, no that was all me. <laughs> that was all me. <laughs> we are so sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I think at one point I was a little bit frustrated at mm. how kind people were, particularly yeah. in Malawi. Malawi was especially like that. Yeah. Um, they were just the sweetest human beings I've ever met. And mm. I think I was frustrated because... I didn't. I didn't want them to be taken advantage of. Yeah, you know mm -hmm. they mm -hmm. they go through so much um, shit that we produce, mm -hmm. like you know CO two emissions. It it goes to places like in Malawi where mm -hmm. drought happens faster yeah. than what humans predicted, so they can't prepare themselves for these disasters. Mm -hmm. um, so they're suffering, and they don't even know why. They just think yeah. that um, it's just bad luck. But yeah. it's not. It's it's literally us. Yeah, yeah. No, a little more targeted complaining would be good. I think. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Exactly. Like they. Yeah. I, I. I was like, man, you gotta speak out. You gotta let the world know. Like, this is what's happening. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know. And and again, someone gave me some wise uh, words, and they said like, you know, like Mario and the vast majority of them don't even know that that's even a thing that they could do. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, there's so much. You know? There's a lot of deferential attitudes baked into the society there, mm -hmm. which in a lot of ways is lovely, but yeah, in some ways it's, so can we go back to Mozambique? Cause mm -hmm. so Al Shabaab, it was Al Shabaab was there, right? Which is, I, I covered them in Somalia and they're not a pleasant bunch of guys. Yeah. So, um, is, is a Renamo part of Al Shabaab? Oh, is it Renamo? No, Renamo an Renamo. old, uh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. No, because it's not Al Shabaab. I, I, Okay, yeah, I was familiar with with Renamo, Renamo okay. forces in right. in uh, northern Mozambique. Yeah, I wanted to meet Renamo. Actually, I wanted to do an interview. Um, mm. I was like, okay, this is a good time for me to start doing like interviews around Africa, mm. in East Africa, and I, and I ended up doing that, but mm. not in the direction of um, of the rebel um, soldiers because. I got shot. <laughs> Multiple, like I got shot at. Um, ah, they good. they didn't yeah. shoot me, but um, like I did. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to. They were <laughs> desperately enough. trying to shoot me. Yeah. yeah, like a lot of AK forty sevens were flying um, for quite some time. And this, uh, I don't. Was this a day? How, what was this like? It, it was. It was a day. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you see the video online that I I posted? I, of, I saw. Uh, so I saw one. You're driving down a road, very bucolic scene, and then all of a sudden, gunfire breaks out or something. Yeah. Or yeah. Walking yeah. amongst cars or something. Yeah. So they picked me up in their truck, and um, so I was forced to 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 ride with them, mm -hmm. and you know that they they were speaking English. They had AK 47s and they said like, "Get in truck. Get in truck." And I'm just thinking like, oh man, I'm being kidnapped right now. What is this? Because mm. I didn't, I didn't know what was going on, but I did know that that was a dangerous area. And um, shortly after we drove, all of a sudden, um, it was just like AK-40s like being targeted towards us. The truck stops and um, they unload everything they had. Like there were six soldiers in the back of the truck, two in the front. And they just stopped the truck. There's music still playing. Um, wow. if you, if you watch the video, there's like, there's like nice little music going on while AK-47s are spraying all over the place. Wow. And I remember there were three guys, um, in the bush and I'm pretty sure they were kids mm -hmm. yeah. because of the, the, well, 65% of the population are under the age of 25. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it was basically Renamo had hired these, these kids to, to, to open fire at mm -hmm. military, right? 
and uh, I just happened to be a part of that that uh, that mix, and yeah, it was really unpleasant. Like it took me some time to recover from that. I mean, that's P- PTSD, right? I mean, there's all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. that gets wrapped up in that sort of moment, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, that must absolutely. Be. And being on your own too, like that's yeah, it was it was like that was probably one of the loneliest things I've ever experienced, right? Because um, because even the night of like we weren't really in a safe place mm-hmm. and uh, they just dropped me off and I'm, I'm like in the middle of, on the road and I'm like thinking like, like anyone could just like shoot me, mm-hmm. kidnap me, take whatever mm-hmm. they need from me. And I'm, yeah. I'm in a very vulnerable uh, position right now. So yeah, that was definitely one of the scariest, excuse me, one of the scariest uh, walks I've done. Yeah. It's to, it's to so, get, to get out of danger. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, so Northern Mozambique heading into Malawi with, is that where that was? It was. Yeah. Um, and then there was, there was another conflict zone further up between, uh, bordering between, um, Malawi and Mozambique. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I had to find a shortcut. And so, because it, I was going to stay in Mozambique for as long as I could, I could. Mm-hmm. But then what I ended up doing instead was just going through like the most southern tip of Malawi because it kind of cuts into Mozambique. Right. And I ended up walking this this distance, climbing over the mountain, the tallest mountain in Malawi, which is mm. the first mountain I've ever climbed. <laughs> and then, yeah, right? That was wild. So I was like, I need yeah. to climb a mountain. <laughs> yeah. And then um, over the mountain, I would say about you know within a week i made it to the uh to make lake malawi and i spent a week there looking for a kayak to yeah. make my way up north right. and um nobody would give me their kayaks because i had zero kayaking experience yeah. so i didn't even know how to kayak i've never right. i've never paddled i've never owned one before so yeah. And what's that lake like? To, is it choppy? Is it windy? Is it? Yeah. So Lake Nyasa or Lake Malawi is one of the most, um, uh, I would say, one of the most intense lakes in the world. The, the, the waves can easily hit like mm-hmm. I don't know what it's like meters, like five meters, seven meters no within with within um, without notice. Like yeah. I've and I've been caught a couple of times with like massive waves where you're in these swells that like. You know, like yeah. it's hard to it's hard to describe. I guess, like if you're in the ocean, I've, and I've done ocean kayaking as well in the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, I know it sounds like a Caribbean is a nice place, but I mean, it is, but not when you're in, no, out in you, the middle of the ocean. Not when there's a storm, yeah. <laughs> not when there's a storm. You're in yeah. the middle of the ocean on a kayak. But the waves, I remember the waves would come up like this, and if I looked side to side, I couldn't see anything. I was blocked by like this mm-hmm. tunnel of waves, yeah. and that was really um, that was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I spent a lot of time surfing those waves. Actually, no way you got into it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> the only way, right? <laughs> it's either you're gonna enjoy it or you're not. Yeah, or you're gonna, a, yeah. That's amazing. So that's so. And Malawi, that that lake runs basically the length of Malawi, doesn't it? And that gets you. It does, yeah. Right into Tanzania. So at the end of the lake, you have about like five days of walking. Yeah. So Queen, what are you wearing on your feet? So. <laughs> So there was like this guy in in uh, Canada. I forgot his name. I gotta look it up. When I'm mm-hmm. writing my book, I'm putting details together. Good. Um, but this this guy, he was part of the the Canadian um, military, mm-hmm. and you know he was so he was in the army, and um, he had these socks, mm-hmm. and they were, these were like thick, like thick old 
uh, merino wool stock, like pure okay. wool. Yeah. And he said, like, this is it. This is this is the number one thing you need in order uh-huh. to to do this expedition. And I was like, I don't know, it's kind of hot in Africa. I don't know. If yeah. Wool socks are the way to go. But I'll tell you right now, David, that was the only pair of socks that I used for the entire length of Africa. Two and a half years. Two and a half years. I I only used this one pair of wool socks. The same pair. The same pair. That's I didn't crazy. use anything else. Yeah. Wow. This guy was not wrong. <laughs> no he was way. not wrong. He was there there were holes that developed over time and I had to stitch them up. Yeah. But besides that, um and the only reason those holes formed was because my shoes mm-hmm. were completely um uh worn out to the point where there were holes like it was essentially uh, like my my toes were were yeah. coming through my uh my, shoe, my, my shoe so shoe. yeah exactly yeah because i couldn't acquire new mil- military boots um as quickly or in certain regions so i had to wait to get to certain places so when i was in malawi for instance i had to wait mm-hmm. till kenya to get my next uh, pair of boots so and so the boots were, they were Canadian issue military boots? Is that? I think they were Desert Eagle Magnum boots. Okay. I think cool. the, the, the U.S. military uses those. Yeah. yeah. And those were, yeah. those were good. But those, even those wore out. They do, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> they, 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 they wear out, but they're really light. Yeah. They're extremely light and they're so, they're so good. Like yeah. you could, you could get them wet and they'll dry out like yeah. almost immediately if you put that in the sun. Hmm. This is all helpful tips for all those explorers. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm I'm going to lead them to this podcast if they if people ask because I have people asking me every week. You know, yeah. like, hey, I'm I'm doing a similar expedition. Could I get some tips? Yeah. But no, this is really great stuff. Um, I, I want to keep just going through the journey because so you get into Ethiopia, uh, which is again a, is another huge country you're walking through, um, and that has since become a conflict zone. I, I'm guessing, like where you went, you went almost up through Tigray, right, but not quite. But uh, but that that's all I think a war zone now, or was until very recently. It, yeah, it definitely was. I think there must have been a pause at the time that I was there. Yeah, because I remember meeting some Tigrayans who. Um, what like this guy that I met? Um, it's so funny. I have a video of him. Um, mm-hmm. He was smoking pot for the first time in his life, and um, <laughs> he had a he had a pistol with him. <laughs> yeah, not a and, good combination um, necessarily. I, not, a, not a good combination. Yeah, but it was also my fault. I convinced him to try this out, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he went hilarious. And he's like pointing his gun up and just like you know shooting up at the sky. Yeah. Um, so he was, so he was an activist and what the Ethiopian government did was they, they collected all these people, I think over a thousand of them, mm-hmm. and they, they took them to a trench and they just shot all of them. So there were 10,000 people that were shot Jeez. and he was, he was amongst one of them and he showed me like bullet holes all over yeah. his body. Yeah. And he said the only reason he survived was because his friend who was in front of him took most of the bullets. Yeah. So he's in the trench amongst like a whole bunch of dead bodies. Yeah. And um, he's telling me the story and I was just like, wow, man. So, you know, he was telling me this, like we connected. Um, he's still a good friend, close friend of mine. 
and he took me out um, to these like remote places that you know no um, tour guide would ever take anybody. Yeah, <laughs> so and and he he wasn't a tour guide at the time, but since then actually he's become a tour guide now. But at yeah. the time he was just um, a hustler, right? Like he was just like hustling on the street and stuff yeah. like that. Huh. So I'm glad he was able to to change that around. Yeah. But at that time, yeah, there was no war happening. Um, with with uh, I think there was a pause. Right. But and I wasn't close to Tigray. I was more. I was closer to Gondar city. Yeah, down further south. Yeah, which is yeah, beautiful, exactly. right? There's that's oh, where Gondar all the old churches are, and yeah, goodness, yeah, in uh, Lalibela, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how was Sudan? Oof. Sudan was. Uh, I think Sudan was a game changer. Mm, interesting. I I um I had a. a I would say like a, a sort of culture shock, but in a positive way. Yeah. And negative. Yeah. You know, how, you know how Africa, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. East Africa is like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> positive is a negative, but a negative is a positive. Um, like I remember the first couple of days when I arrived, I finally, I made it close to Khartoum. Mm-hmm. Not, I was like probably halfway to Khartoum. And uh, there's the fashion police, which are part of the um, uh, Sharia law. Yeah. Enforcement, and I was wearing shorts, yeah. and they told me to 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 change into long pants mm-hmm. right on the street. So I'm like literally stripping down um, <laughs> to change into my long pants on like in the middle of the street. Yeah, because they you know like with their with their they have an AK-47 wrapped around them. Yeah. They're wearing dark shades, like yeah. you know, pretending to be like important agents. Yeah. They're just uh, they're just a bunch of thugs, but you know, they they told me to 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 change my pants into long pants, and that's the first time where, you know, I felt like, whoa! I mean, imagine being a woman, yeah, living in Sudan, right. where the consequences are way higher, way more dire consequences, and you know, the penalty can sometimes be death. Mm-hmm. Or her exposing um, um, her skin, right. different body parts, even her hair. So, and, and for me, it was just my legs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but what Sudan taught me was it took hospitality to another level. Mm, interesting. Everyone there, like, I had a, I had, a, I was living in a mansion mm-hmm. for about like two and a half months. Not only. No. And, and the reason I was there for two and a half months in Khartoum alone, not just all of Sudan, but in Khartoum alone, was because I was attacked by dogs in Ethiopia. Oh, no way. It was just a bunch of wild dogs. And they bit my knee. It was a really nasty bite. And I didn't treat it until I made it um, to Khartoum. So and the infection was horrible. Oh, my God. So how like it looked walked, like my you walked a few hundred miles with that then probably. yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah. Wow. and i it got to the point where my and that's why i had to wear shorts by the way mm. and i got to the point where when i had to wear the long pants mm. it it started to um the material fused oh, with geez. the with with the pus and the yeah oh man and the the, the rotting skin it was the oh, most disgusting God. Oh, like I remember going to bed and I was like, "What is that dead smell?" It's on. Is it was literally my skin. It was my meat. The meat was rotting. That's like gangrene. <laughs> right? like, Are you on your way to gangrene? Is that? I think so. Yeah, wow. I think so. It was bad. I, there was a hole in my leg and everything. It was bad. So I got to like it was extreme at one point, and um, and I remember I met this doctor. Mm-hmm. 
um, and and he recommended the right things to do. So I needed malaria. Uh, sorry, not malaria. Um, um, uh, what are you, dog bite shots? Um, oh, uh, no, I know what you mean. Uh, rabies, rabies, rabies yeah. shots. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I had rabies, but yeah, but. I think, I think that the, I think my bite just got infected. Yeah, but I, I took the rabies shots anyways, and I needed it had to be for a month, a period of a month. Yeah, and I needed it to be at a certain temperature, so it had to be like minus two or something like that. Yeah, and it needed to be at that temperature for a month. And so that's one of the reasons why I, I couldn't leave right away. So I had to stay in Khartoum. But again, that forced me to, it was like, you know, getting robbed on my second date. Mm-hmm. I kept getting into situations that forced me to be amongst the people, be amongst mm-hmm. the locals. And, um, and then from there, like, I, it was just so hospitable. Everyone gave me a place to stay. You can't go anywhere where somebody's not trying to feed you. Yeah. <laughs> That's like you're you're being fed by everyone, even strangers on the street. Yeah, I remember like when I was uh, walking on my way um, through the desert uh, towards um, uh, was it Alubaid, which mm-hmm. is uh, where the pyramids are. Um, so when I'm walking toward there, which by the way, if you've been there, it's there's nothing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> there's nothing. It's not the great pyramid. It's it's, no. it's <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, you know. At least there are these checkpoints, mm-hmm. and these checkpoints, they always had three or four things. And uh, sorry, the one thing they always had was um, dates. Mm-hmm. Like they had, like oh, um, yeah. you know, like the the, the really yeah, yeah. sweet, delicious mm-hmm. uh, Sudanese dates. But then they always had water wells or jugs of water. Mm-hmm. The way that they've been doing it for thousands of years, they mm-hmm. have it in these like clay, these clay pots, like massive clay pots. Sometimes yeah. the size of a, you know, like a, a, a short person, maybe. Yeah. And uh, you collect the water from there. And then there would always be someone with uh, hot tea. Oh, and bread. So there was bread, tea, water, and dates. And, and that was my diet yeah, super for yeah. pretty much the entire length of, yeah. <laughs> of uh, Sudan. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So do you, do you have a strong stomach? Like, I mean, so my weakness in generally is my stomach in in Africa, wherever I went, I got whatever that stomach thing was basically. Yeah. I wouldn't get it the second time, but the first time I got it. Right. Yeah. I was afraid of that, but you know, I never got sick. Good. Wow. That's not one time, which is, yeah, that's like, I'm surprised. Cause even when I was in street food, you're eating all sorts of stuff. I'm eating literally all sorts of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I'm even I'm eating like raw meat sometimes that I, you know, that I fished out of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, th- the first, okay, there was one time I did get sick. It was in Kenya out mm-hmm. of all places because, you know, if you go to Nairobi, Nairobi besides Kibera is like a, a, a basically a developed yeah, uh, a city, mid- you know, middle class and everything else. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. For the exception of Kibera, which mm-hmm. is like a, this township yeah. Yeah. No, that bad. the government is using as a way to get um, NGOs and charitable <laughs> donations yeah, no, and collect money for themselves. Yeah. But anyway, that's a different topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was this mall. We're talking like a modern, like this is like Eden Center Mall, like from Toronto. Shiny floors, everything was clean. Like mm-hmm. It's nice. It's a nice mall. And uh, I had a Chinese food. I had, I think, two bites out of the rice. Yeah. And I threw up immediately. You're like, done. Uh, like, just 
what it was was I think it's the um, the, the chemicals yeah. that they use because I've been doing now two years now of no chemicals in the food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you oh, know, and totally. then all and then all yeah, exactly. So yeah. my my body got used to yeah. what whatever is fresh. <laughs> yeah, and then all of a sudden I'm eating foods that have uh, preservatives and yeah. and that just immediately I threw up. It was just yeah. and then from then on I just couldn't eat Western food anymore. Yeah. So just to, you know, to jump forward a bit. So you get, I mean, first of all, just crossing the, you're in the Sahara effectively, right? Heading into, into Egypt. I mean, is that one of the more challenging sections of walking? It was because it was scary. Um, the scary part was always, well, two things. One, getting, um, being lost. And then two, um, sorry, running out of water. Yeah. But yeah water. Exactly. But you know what? I, I didn't, I think I just stayed smart. I just stayed along the road. Yeah. 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 Like there were, you don't have to go off the beaten path. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think that like, there were times, yes, where I did go off the beaten path, mm-hmm. but I would have a clear line. Like I would have a clear um, landmark that I would like yeah. get to. Aim like for, I could yeah. see like there was, a, there's like a mountain, there's a hill yeah. um, and that could, it would take me like maybe a couple of days to get there. Yeah. So if, if I saw that, then, and if that's a shortcut, I would use that. Right. But I would never take an unnecessary chance yeah. that I'm not equipped for. But there are, there are highways that go through the deserts yeah. and people are driving by there all the time. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not as um, deserted as, as people might imagine. Yeah. Were you getting ride offers all the time? Um, Not in Sudan. Mm-hmm. Where ride offers were, Usually in Mozambique, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I had a guy literally, he, he stopped his truck in front of me. He's like, yeah, get in the truck. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm walking. walking. <laughs> and he looked at me like I was literally crazy. He's like, but there's elephants here. There's wild elephants. I was like, what is wrong with you? Like, he looked at me multiple times and he tried to convince me but no i never you know the more times people offer it the, the easier it is to say no yeah and then it just becomes part of the thing and yeah. and i and you know you feel like if you're walking this far this long and then all of a sudden you take a ride it just doesn't no it just yeah. no even like being picked up by the military mm-hmm. like i that felt wrong yeah you know what i mean yeah. but i had no choice in that in that matter yeah talking about elephants i mean did you have close encounters with wildlife yeah i had multiple yeah. Close encounters um, in South Africa, Mozambique, yeah. uh, and and Kenya. Actually, those are or I, I'm thinking Tanzania too. Mm-hmm. No, just uh, it was Kenya, Mozambique, and South Africa. Yeah. So South Africa was just like giraffes and whatnot because yeah. I went through some reserves that I wasn't really supposed to walk through, right. but I did anyways. Yeah. Um, and then um, Mozambique were wild elephants. Whoa. Uh, I I ran into one wild elephant. It was a lone male. Yeah, I think he was um, branched off from the rest of his yeah. group. So, and you know, they're trying to like assert dominance. Yeah. So, you know, they're just like acting a fool. But I wasn't really scared of them. But I know that elephants are also one of the mammals that kill probably one of like, yeah. not the most amount of people. I think it's like hippos, yeah. uh, elephants. And, yeah, yeah, hippos yeah. are at the top of the heap. People are always surprised about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When it, when it comes to mammals, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Huh. 
Amazing. Um, and so <laughs> just to get to Journey's End, when you, you get to Cairo, I mean, what's that feeling like? Cairo felt strange. Like, I don't think I wanted to end the journey yet. Yeah. I think I was still, I was still in motion. Mm -hmm. I think I got used to it. It became my life. It became who I was. Just like how if you wake up nine to five, you know, you wake up to a nine to five work um, kind of schedule. That's how I felt. And by the time I made it to, to, to Cairo, Egypt, I think I stayed there for about four months because yeah. I just couldn't leave Africa yet. I was like, this, like, I do not want to leave this continent. It's just too beautiful. People are so authentic. It's just, it's, it's insane. Um, and the richness, the rich culture in, in, in Egypt too, in Cairo particularly, um, was, was insane. So as soon as I made it into Cairo, I just, I hopped on the back of a bike mm -hmm. and like I made it to the hotel and I remember waking up at this hotel and seeing the pyramids and I was like, this is the most perfect ending right here. Yeah. I'm not going to continue. This is where I end my journey. So right at the border of getting into the city, because it was getting really rough, like we're talking, the traffic was really yeah. intense and I'm like, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. I'm done. And it was, it was like, um, there was no build. It was, not, it was like not exciting. It was just by myself. Yeah. I'm alone. And I go find a backpacker. That's it. Uh, backpackers. And, and I stayed there yeah. and that's it. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and big question, but what do you think you learned out of that? Um, out of the whole trip? I mean, how did you come back different, I guess? I came back different in, in multiple different ways. I would say definitely more confident. There's like foundation to my confidence. And um, I think I, I see people better, you know. I think I see the commonality in, in all of us. Oh, I choose to see the commonality in all of us. And then I saw that love and community it's probably the way that humanity has to um, continue on into the future. And I think, um, you know, unfortunately in the Western world, we teach isolation and possession, ownership, separation, all those kinds of dominance over. And I would say the vast majority of African people, excluding the corrupt leaders, they see community. You know, you probably heard Ubuntu. They see community, they see how they can work together, and they want to be happy. They choose to be happy. And they enjoy a good time, and I, and, I, and I love that. I believe that if you want to understand what it is to be fully human, go to Africa. I think that's a beautiful spot to leave it. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, thanks, David. Appreciate it. That's it for this episode of Explore. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review us. It helps others to find these interviews. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Until next time, when we'll explore again. I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling you about that. Simpson about June 10th, with a fur brigade consisting of a number of yacht boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, it means, it means that in the oral history is very strong. Yeah, we flew over every inch of the country that could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160 lives or so.
Yeah, I'm the first for Canada.